Hello, this is Dr. Shiva. Welcome to our podcast, Get Educated or Be Enslaved. Episode 1019, air date January 11th, 2022. <laughs> We have started an election systems integrity institute because we believe Harvard, Stanford, MIT have these very profound scientific institutes and the uh, actual understanding of election systems integrity is a very, very partisan area. We want to create a nonpartisan institute and we've launched that. You know, I've launched it myself, funded it myself so far. So what we want to talk about is uh, the larger context that we want to talk about is we're going to have a series of lectures on this. And the goal is to advance election systems integrity. So consider what we're going to do today here is to really start this process to do the great reset <laughs> for all of this. And right. so we want to talk about the problems, okay? So so this is part one, really, okay? We'll have a part two, et cetera. I want to acknowledge the team members of the Election Systems Integrity Institute. People can go to electionsystemsintegrity.org very new website if you want to understand those of you who are interested in participating uh, we we're fully open to it our mission is to really advance election system science and engineering by applying the scientific method and an engineering systems approach we're not going to really get to the bottom of this if it's based on uh, putting out stuff out there to hype up stuff so you can cha-ching raise money on it it's not how things are going to really move forward um, the agenda i want to do today is i want to give a little bit of background What's the motivation that brings us here? I think we've talked about it. I want to give a little bit of a preview. There are the real problems, the big elephants in the room that have not been discussed because we've gotten lost in some, frankly, nonsense. Um, and there, that I want to talk about some of the egregious errors and incompetence uh, that's taken place. I want to talk about this thing called Sharpie Gate and the false claims. And there, separate from those two, there are some good people who know mathematics, but curve fitting does not equal fraud. And I want to, for those people who've been funding this, and I'm talking about individuals who've given $5, $10, or people who've given millions of dollars, that the question we want to ask is, do you want to be victims of this or do you want to be enablers of this? Okay, so let's begin. First of all, this presentation, we're going to talk about the problems in ele the election integrity movement. There'll be future lectures, we'll, which we'll also have, and we can host it with you guys if you want, or we'll do it on yeah. our own. But we want to talk about the elephants in the room, the real problems in election systems integrity, and what's the path forward that we want to do. So the purpose of this to everyone listening is to really be constructive. But like one of my mentors, Frank Zane, who's a great bodybuilder, he said, first you must sometimes destroy <laughs> to create, okay? So we got we to clean the deck sometimes, okay? You got to detox. So. What is a motivation? The motivation is not to, uh, you know, uh, this is not about uh, personalities. This is really about there's a desire by those dedicated to the discipline of engineering sciences to identify real problems in election systems integrity. However, egregious errors and false claims are frankly distracting from the real and substantive issues of election systems integrity. And the, the problem is many of the people who approach me this is damaging their credibility. And people are really upset at this. And those who sincerely work 
beyond left and right to expose a real malfeasance. So I'm not going to go through this today, but there are big elephants in the room, which have we have not even begun to address because of the grifting that's taken place. We have ballot change, a chain of custody issues, major issue, accessibility of standard operating procedures, training of election personnel, enforcement of these SOPs and existing laws. There is really no real penalties right now for violation of 52 USC 20701. There is no meaningful signature verification and failure rate detection. Some of the work our institute's going to be doing, we're going to be publishing a paper which will come out in the next week or so. Please keep an eye out for that. Data federation, which means system A doesn't communicate with system B to system C. None of the data matches, okay? Mismatch of common data elements. There's inconsistency of voter identification methods based on how you come into this process. And most importantly, in any type of audit, there's a lack of end-to-end, -end, what we call in the quote-unquote Harvard Business School model, key performance indicators, okay? Auditors know this. We will discuss this, but I want you to just look at this, and I'm sure you haven't seen this really being highlighted. The, there are real elephants in the room, and we need to go after those, because this is where prosecution should occur, this is where we'll get down to recognizing that both wings of the establishment have been taking advantage of the American public. They're real issues. But let's talk now to clear the deck, okay? There are egregious errors and incompetence that have taken place. So one of the things is a failure to understand adjudication, okay? So we're gonna educate people what is adjudication, and there's been a real failure to understand this. So for example, here's a ballot. Now you notice, uh, you are supposed to vote for three, you're supposed to make three choices. Everyone see that? But the guy only made one choice. So this is a race on a ballot. Now this would, because the person only voted for one and not three people, this would go to adjudication. And in adjudication, people review this. And in this race, you're supposed to vote for three people, but someone voted for one. So this race on this ballot, so race and ballot cannot be conflated, will be adjudicated to determine the voter intent, okay? Now, just to give a little bit of background, a ballot can have many races, right? You can vote for the dog catcher, you can vote for the you know, judge, etc. So one ballot could have 60 races. Now, one or more races on a ballot may be flagged for adjudication. So even if all 60 races on one ballot were flagged, for adjudication, um, only one ballot is counted as adjudicated. Does that make sense? So yes. even if someone yes. reviewed all, it's not 60 adjudications or 60 modifications, it's one ballot that was adjudicated, okay? Well, those are we two different things. Ballot. Modifications are totally different than adjudication. Adjudication goes well, to the actual ballot itself. Modifications are made on the ballot in a specific race. In a, in a specific race, so you can have many, and, and by the way, you can have a bunch of adjudications, but maybe no modifications were made, okay? But the Correct. key point, to, we cannot confuse a race with a ballot, okay? So this was put out by an individual, uh, Jeffrey, I think, uh, Philia, AKA, uh, I think, Jovan Pulitzer, JP, we'll call him. And this uh, was, and by the way, what I'm sharing right now is, Joe, it's what you sent me. You sent me about six images to review, okay? Yes. And so this was one of those images, which is called a batch modification report. It looks very, very complicated. 
And what you see here is a image um, where it says that 12%, 12.06% of a particular batch of ballots, and it's referring to, let me walk you through this. So this diagram, what it says is, according to its author, is clear, quote unquote, evidence of election fraud in Maricopa County, okay? David, going back to what you call, it's a presentation of evidence, but let's really unpack this. What's really going on here? Well, first of all, up here is the a number that says that there were 24 ballots that were modified. You see that? 24. Out of, right here, 199 ballots, so 24 divided by 99 comes to this 12.06, okay? So 24 ballots were modified out of 199, so you get 12.06, one out of 88 ballots. And by the way, I think there are 10,000 of these uh, created, so we're only looking at one of them that was sent to us, meaning uh, many batches were analyzed uh, with these kinds of images. But one would leave after looking at this thing, it's really a misrepresentation of adjudication, because it says 12%, one out of eight of ballots were, in this case, modified, okay? So is this accurate, okay? Um, and by the way, if this is accurate, this would affect all batches, about 10,000 that were apparently reviewed and analyzed by the author and represented as evidence. So let's go a little bit deeper into this. So first of all, there's a number of errors here. First of all, um, you know, it's when we're doing audits, you have to be right with your numbers. So 200 ballots are in this batch, not 199, okay? It's one, two, 200, okay? All right? Zero to, so, two, zero to 199. Yes, I mean, there's First different, count. but you know what I'm saying, the ordinal count, but it's right. 200 ballots. The second error is there's only 16 ballots that were adjudicated, not 24, and I'll show you all the data on this. Um, next fact is given that there's 60 races per ballot, if you want to think about it from potential adjudications, that would have been 12,000 potential adjudications. The fact is that 24 adjudications over 12,000 would be 0.02%. Now, the reality is, if you want to give the benefit of the doubt, 16 ballots out of 200 ballots, 16 ballots were adjudicated, right, modified, mm -hmm. that would be 8%, not 12.06%, okay? So on a good day, this should be brought down 8%, but it gets a little more interesting. Okay, so when we want to talk about evidence, if you look at 16 out of 200 ballots at 8%, not 12.06%. However, not even one race on these 16 ballots was adjudicated for the presidential race. So those of our people who saw this would think, oh my God, 12% in this ballot were you know, adjudicated for the presidential race. So let's look at the ballot images. Remember, we recently got the ballot images. So we actually looked them up. Joe and David, okay? We went into our database and we looked them up and I'm gonna share with you some examples. Um, when you look at this and some very, this number over here, H1 denotes the actual tabulator, right? Which is the actual machine that the ballots were put through. And the tabulator here is 3001, their first H1. This number is there were 200, that's the batch, okay? batch ID, and what you find is when you look this up, and we have this, by the way, we have it loaded up in our data center, we looked it up, there's 16 ballots that were actually modified. So let's go a little more detail. So when you, analysis of the adjudicated ballots in the quote unquote evidentiary batch, okay? So this is one of those ballots, Joe and David, we pulled one of those 16 out, 
And what do you see here? So this is when something gets adjudicated. So this is a ballot and we're looking at one race. And what you see here, this is one adjudicated ballot and one race was changed. Joe, to your point, okay? And this was a race where there, it's called an overvote because a person is voting for a, a superior court and they circled this and this. Everyone see that? It's called an overvote. You voted yes and no, and then the person canceled this. So in the database, it's, it was frankly correctly done. It was adjudicated and it was resolved. And again, this, this is not a presidential vote was affected, okay? This is a down ballot race. Is that clear? Yes. Any questions? So that's nope. one of those 16 ballots. Let me go to another one. Here's another one that's interesting. This is again, one adjudicated ballot. Again, one race was changed. This was for an overvote again for Supreme Court. It was correctly resolved to one vote. Yes, and you can see that right here. And again, this was not a presidential race, okay? No presidential vote for Biden or Trump was affected. Here's another one that's even more interesting. One ballot, but you'll notice there's one, two, three, four, five races, okay, that were flagged. But notice it's still one adjudicated ballot, but nothing was changed here, David or Joe, okay? There was in fact a overvote here for the HS governing board. Um, and that was properly, uh, there, was no, uh, there was no really uh, race change. And there were four examples of undervotes. But again, no presidential vote was affected. So I just want the viewers to understand that this is the adjudication process. But everyone should understand when we ran as a write-in in the general election, every write-in vote is always automatically adjudicated. It does not mean that there was some malfeasance, okay? So here's a write-in and there was, so the write-in campaign is captured, right? Because you have to capture it and adjudication is a process. And the undervote is for state rep and they were supposed to vote for two. Again, no presidential race. The net of it is when you look at this graphic, it frankly shows a serious lack of understanding. There's errors in reading the CVR. It's 200, not 199. It may seem minor, but it's important. It's conflation of races and ballots. The adjudication occurs on overvotes and undervotes, which we saw. But remember, any write-in must be adjudicated. It's not a bad vote. You can't conflate this to say something's going on. As I mentioned, there are many, many real problems. This is not a real problem. Not one was a presidential race across all those 16 ballots in that batch. But if you were to just look at this as a naive viewer or you were hyped up on, you would say, oh my God, 12% of the presidential races perhaps were adjudicated. Now, in this same, if the same erroneous method was used across all those batch modification reports, and I haven't seen them all, Joe, but I understand there are many of these reports using this same format, potentially 10,000, um, they're all incorrect, okay? So there's a lot of stuff that would lead one to believe there's some something major going on here, but there's a lack of understanding fundamentally, David, between races and ballots. And there's a, there's a, frankly a conflation between those two, okay? Okay, But Continue. the key thing with these ballots is there's none of them are presidential races that were affected. It has nothing to do with the Trump and Biden race. Is that clear? These are down ballot races, okay? And all of them were handled properly. Nothing burger. Let's go to the next one, failure to understand modified cards. So again, let me go back to this example. One, three people should have been voted, right? As we said, um, but we need to understand something. 
a modified card, and this is election terminology, is a post-adjudication record. So you have a race and you say, okay, how should, which way should have this gone? And then a, um, a modified card is created, okay? Now Maricopa also used electronic adjudication of this specific race in question. And the modified card and the original card are often the same since the races are unchanged, as you remember in this case, right? So here are five races on the same ballot and none of them, there were no races changed, so the modified card and the, the original card are the same, okay? But if you don't understand this, which I think what the problem here is, it's a serious lack of a fundamental understanding um, to count every adjudicated race as a modified ballot, okay? And I think that's what happened here. Let me go into something that gets to the big picture here because we don't want to create, again, nothing burgers that allows people who, do, who are election uh, fraud deniers to say, aha, right? We're chasing something, we got them, and, you know, on, on garbage. And frankly, when you look at the entire thing, the reality of adjudication for presidential race 11,930 presidential races were impacted uh, by adjudication. So of all those ballots, okay, if you look at 2,075,000 ballots, there were only 11,930 presidential races that were impacted by adjudication. Does that make sense? Which means out of all those ballots, 11,930 were the ones that people had to look at adjudication of the presidential races. To make it even more precise, of those 7,942 were write-in and they had nothing to do with Trump or Biden, okay? They're write-in for other presidential races, for people writing in maybe Mickey Mouse or Kanye West, okay? Things like that. All the write-in votes had to be adjudicated. So there's no really, you know, issues there because if it's a write-in, it's gotta be adjudicated. Um, now, there were a small number of them where you had people put X's and check marks and that had to be adjudicated, but if you, take all those away at the end of the day, when it came to Trump and Biden, only 3,732 had to do with this, uh, you know, was it for Trump or Biden, okay? And so at the end of the day, less than 4,000 out of 2 million, but more importantly, you know, there were assertions made that 300,000 out of 2 million were adjudicated for the presidential race. And this will get us into the Sharpie gate area, okay? But these are the absolute facts and these are the evidence when you look at it. Okay, again, there are many, many real problems. This is not a real problem. It was unfortunately hyped up. Now, let's go to the fiction of Sharpie Gate. I think it was called the Hemo Report. I guess uh, bleed through, okay? Uh, pretty interesting marketing. And again, this is a false claim. Um, the guys at Gateway Pundit, I guess, picked this up and I don't blame them for it, but it was a story that was sold to them, the HEMO report. Let's look at what we mean by bleed through. Now, I want people to look at this ballot because it's a wonderful example um, because the story out there was that this sharp Sharpies were used and because of the use of Sharpies, as you can see, they bled through from one side to the other side and they would have caused adjudication. So. By the way, here's a ballot. You can see how misaligned it is. You see, see the marks along here? This yep. is one that's seriously misaligned. And okay. so you would think, yep, so, I'm sorry. So, so I, want, I want people to understand that it's called a, um, 
um, MVP, right? So the reason why it's misaligned is that this particular ballot is put through what's called a mail ballot printer. So it's printed because all ballots that go out that are not produced on mail ballot printers are proofed before they're actually sent out, right? And the company in Maricopa that did those things is called Runbeck. I just want, I want everybody to understand that the, the ballots didn't just come out of a machine from Runbeck sent out to people as a mail-in ballot and they came back this way. These are ballots that were printed using the mail ballot printer. Is that accurate? I, I read that in the report in the third volume. Is that accurate? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, mean I, I think the key thing in this example, see how misaligned it is? Yeah. So if this was, so if, it's unreadable so if you notice, yeah, this, if you notice these dots here, they're people marking stuff for races on the other side. And even in such a, such a uh, pretty abominably misaligned, you notice that the, right here, these dots are nowhere near these dots over here. That's the point, okay? If they were here, Joe, they would go into adjudication. Does that make sense? Yes. Because these dots would be over these dots, and you say, hey, I'd have an overvote, and i got to figure out which way they go. Everyone clear? Yes. Okay. The point was, even in such a case, this is actually nothing really happened here. It's a nothing burger. But assertions were made, 300,000 uh, uh, you know, ballots potentially went through this process and, there, and, and that they were held in abeyance, right? And that this was a basis of quote unquote fraud. Um, so the claim was tens of thousands of election day ballots were affected by Sharpie Gate. The reality is only 852 election day ballots were adjudicated for president, okay? That's a reality. All 850 were right in votes, and the reality were only 13 involved Trump or Biden. I'm sorry to say Sharpie Gate is not an issue. It's an unfortunate hyperbole to say, to, to give it the best case analysis, okay? The next thing is I want to go to a really a failure to understand provisional ballots. To people understanding what is a provisional ballot, you go, you know, to vote. Now, provisional ballots are not only on election day. They can also be early voting. You decide to go to vote and uh, early voting and you forget to bring your ID or you don't have it. They'll say, well, okay, we're going to let you vote, but later on we'll figure out if you're a real voter. Okay. It's called, that's called a provisional. You're, you're voting, but it's unsure whether your vote's going to be counted until it's properly uh, reviewed. Okay. So there were, I think, thousands of pages of a book created um, where this is a one page out of the Maricopa Canvas report, okay? Just one page for a particular precinct. And what, and I'm just taking an example here, and in this page you see what? How many, you know, were uh, accepted and how many were rejected in for provisional ballots, okay? So six were accepted, and it tells why the reason codes the new resident ballot verified and address was updated, early ballot requested and not returned, right? And these are the reasons why someone's provisional ballot was rejected, right? You're not registered to vote, that's this code. You were not eligible to vote in this election. Your early ballot was sent, returned and counted, right? It was already counted, right? Conditional, provisional, sufficient. So anyway, so this is literally a page out of the Maricopa Canvas Report for a Precinct, clear? This was presented as a visualization, uh, spelling mistake here, not ours, but in this multi-page book 
And uh, the individual here, uh, Mr. Fulia, I mean, uh, Pulitzer, uh, presented this as some phenomenal type of dashboard analysis. When what you can see here, and he in fact termed this kinematic artifact detection. Okay? Just want to be clear what this is. This is just a regurgitation of this. This is not some advanced analysis. This is not kinematic artifact detection. Simply taking this data and putting it, frankly, into some relatively uh, simple graphs, confusing graphs, unfortunately. This is actually much easier to read, okay? Uh, but bottom line is this is a regurgitation of the Maricopa Canvas Report for a precinct. And what do you see here? This is just the accepted piece. You know, it has the six ballots and it just lists the reason codes. In fact, it's a little bit harder to read. These are the rejected codes. This is a graph simply um, uh, pie charting how many were rejected of the provisional, how many were accepted, okay? The point is that this report is taken and converted to this part here and this part here and this part here, okay? This number up here is all the registered voters in that precinct, how many voted and how many uh, were rejected. And what you see here is these are uh, numbers and I'll get to them. This is supposed to be for minority votes. This is called a, a Keschel factor, a Python factor. And I hope these people do not you know, understand how some of the data is being misused here and I'll, I'll come back to it. This fingerprint um, is apparently a, uh, an imprimatur for when fraud is taking place, okay? But the bottom line is this was all branded as a very, very highfalutin term called kinematic artifact detection. And I think people funded this, kinematic artifact detection. Bottom line is it's simply a reconstitution of the data in the Canvas report. That's my point, Joe and David. Um, there are people who do serious work. When I see the word kinematic, it's coming out of, you know, kinematics, okay? There's no kinematic here. It's purely a regurgitation of the Maricopa report. That is the, remember when you were a kid, you get those little spy glasses and the cereal thing, and you put it over to figure out what was really being said? So I'm telling you, when you put the spy glass over here, the decoding is it's a pure regurgitation of the Maricopa report. It is not kinematic artifact detection, okay? Period. Okay. So, Roger that. Over here, you have the accepted codes, you have the rejected codes, and you simply have a graph saying percent rejected and accepted, okay? This interesting imprimatur is created uh, to denote fraud, okay? And the viewer, when they look through this stuff, if they see this, they may say, oh my God, there's fraud taking place here, okay? So this is almost like a childish imprimatur that's put to denote fraud, okay? There's no fraud here. It's simply a restatement of the Maricopa Canvas Report. This report looks at 2020. This is simply the 2020 data and the 2016. And the author of this goes on to claim, you know, we have evidence of fraud because you have this thing because in these provisional ballots in 2020, there were six which were accepted, 16 which were, uh, sorry, 13 which were rejected, but in 2016, 43 were accepted and 18 were rejected. But because the percentage is higher here versus here, right, that were rejected, 
Therefore, there's some serious fraud taking place when the reality is the total number of provisional ballots has gone down than the previous year. And more importantly, the actual numbers have dropped. And the reason is, and I'll go through this, and this shows an individual who participated in this got, as I understand, paid good money for doing this, doesn't understand the fundamentals of a provisional ballot. Provisionals, the assumption of this author is they only impact election day voters. It's absolutely false. So the assumption is that provisionals only occur on election day, but it's not true. The reality is in Maricopa, if one had actually studied this, early in-person voting resulted in provisional ballots. So to everyone listening, you could definitely on election day, you could do a provisional, but even several days, weeks before that, you could go early vo voting in person and that too could result in a provisional. But one of the most important things was that prov provisional rejection rates increased from 2016 to 2020 is the claim. That's false. In Maricopa imp implemented something called real-time provisionals, which by the way, I don't care for. And, and a bunch of us in our institute, we've talked about, it, we don't think this is a good thing. And in 2020, which significantly decreased the number of provisional ballots. And that's what you see here. You see, in this precinct, we went from 51 or 61 provisionals to 19. Everyone see that? Because what they did was they had this thing called real-time provisionals. But to call this report kinematic artifact detection is just utter rubbish. And this is again a regurgitation of the data posted in the Maricopa County Recorder's website. Let me go to something else. And we're gonna get into something. Again, to the audience listening, the goal here is to recognize that all of this stuff, there's nothing here, everyone. There are real substantive issues. And if you're funding this, I feel that you're being victimized. And that's why we wanna alert people to this. Now, let's talk about turnout counts. So David, you asked one of the numbers here is turnout, okay? Turnout percentage, and it's listed right here. And the individual listed this made, uh, Mr. JP stated, and you can go look at it at five minutes, 40 seconds in this Rumble video, the direct quote, and I'm quoting this says, international standards, government standards, and exactly what the MITRE report released. And MITRE is right here in Massachusetts. Uh, in the current Biden administration, it says anything over 72% in turnout is considered suspicious. Okay, so let me read that again. It says, according to this individual, that international standards, government standards, and exactly what the MITRE report released in the current Biden report, it's, it says anything over 72% in a turnout, it's considered suspicious. And you can go look at it. So the individual who has put together this stuff is asserting that if there's 72% or over in turnout, that's considered suspicious. And he's quoting a citation. Look, in science, you better make, and in engineering, you better quote properly, okay? You get pa papers rejected. You get papers retracted for doing this kind of stuff. The MITRE report, we went and looked at it, released on February 20, 2021, and it's called Data Analytics to Enhance Election Transparency. It does not say that turnout over 72% is suspicious. And Joe and David, I encourage you, if you have conversations, uh, you should ask, this gentleman should be asked to provide the source of the assertion regarding quote unquote international government standards. I'd really like to find this because I can find it here, okay? 
but more importantly, if you actually go look at the data, and I highlighted all the presidential years, what do you see, Joe and David? It's 70, what, five, 79%, 74%, 74%. These are the presidential years, 77, 77, 71, right? So the bottom line is that it's not suspicious. In fact, the data shows that it is important to note that the turnout, by the way, is measured in two ways, right? It's me sometimes measured as a percentage of citizen voting age population, CVAP, yeah. but more commonly as a percentage of the registered voters. But the bottom line is on presidential years, it is typically over 70%. Everyone see that? All right, so there's a nothing burger here. Um, so the turnout, again, is spotlighted. So when you see 77, this fingerprint is put on these reports, alerting the reader, and I hope this wasn't submitted to the Attorney General, frankly, because the Attorney General's office wants real issues, and if they get crap like this, I'm sorry to say that's what it is, they're going to think this entire audit was just garbage, okay? But putting stuff like this, this is not an issue. Now, this gets something really interesting. We've heard of ghost voters, right, David? And, and this is a serious issue. There are potentially real ghost voters, right? But if we make assertions of quote-unquote ghost vo voters and we brand it, I think this is called the Python score, okay? When it's nothing there, it's going to actually reduce the credibility of when people actually want to go do ghost voter analysis. So let me give you the example here. There is a score up on the upper right. And by the way, when you look at this, and by the way, it was actually called registration anomaly spelled like this, okay? Um, and it says the Python rating, and um, I hope whoever this individual is uh, does some cease and desist because this person's name is actually being misused. But it says that the ghost voter rating here is 87.3%. So what do I mean? So if you look at this, this is a precinct, 0639, the Sun Devil precinct. And in this precinct, apparently, there are... Can you see that? 87.3% of people in this precinct are ghost voters. Pretty high, isn't it? Yes. So, and so the registered voters in this precinct are 1820, and those who voted are 1417. So if you divide uh, 1,237 divided by 1417, you get this number, okay? And therefore, this is branded as some serious fraud. Well, let's, we went in and we did some analysis on this. According to the individual in question here, a definition of a ghost voter, per their definition, is a voter appearing on voter registration. So that means Bill Smith at 1 Main Street appears in voter registration, okay? So if you went to the voter registration, there's Bill Smith on 1 Main Street. But not appearing in any other public reports. So Bill Smith at 1 Main Street does not appear on an electric bill or no vehicle registration or other public reports. According to this definition, that would be a ghost voter. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. So by applying that definition, what this analysis here did, using this Python scoring, was using this precinct, 639, we went and looked it up in the Maricopa County Recorder's website. And this is that precinct. Do you see this, David? It's, a, it's almost a block, right? So this is the actual yeah. evidence one of the members on our institute's team did. We went and actually looked it up and we 
saw this here. Well, guess what this is? This is actually Arizona State University. It's the actual university. And if you look here, it's frankly totally reckless to call these ghost voters. Why? Because it's completely misrepresenting university students as ghost voters. Because defining a ghost voter as any voter on the rolls who does not have a match in a public records request is flawed. So for example, if you have Jane Doe, who is a freshman or a junior or something and lives at one University Avenue at the dormitory on Arizona State University with no electric bill or no vehicle registration, that's the analysis that they did here, they would be branded as a ghost voter, which means any young person, freshman or sophomore, who doesn't, you know, most freshmen or sophomore probably don't have an electric bill, right? They would be all branded as ghost voters. And that's how you get this flawed analysis, okay? So if we're, if the election integrity movement is branding this at such a high number, this is like open territory for anyone to just destroy this, okay? So this is, in my view, egregious ignorance. And it impacts for those of us, frankly, the credibility of actual ghost voter analysis. Because if you put out thousands of pages of this, as I understand was put out, this really hurts the sincerity of real election integrity analysts. And then this is put out there. I thought it was a Pac-Man thing initially. I didn't know what this was. Sorry about that. But you can see all these numbers here and it's frankly just rubbish, okay? I hate to say it, okay? I can't decipher this. Um, it just is made so complicated that no one even knows what is going on here. Okay, but I've hopefully deciphered some of it. Finally, I wanna end with, I mean, there's many, many cases like this. I, to, the goal of this is to open up the viewers out there to recognize that we have problems when people are just putting, frankly, this nonsense out there, self-promoting, and I hope, I, and I'll get to these, the people who are funding this. So there was a claim made by the same individual, radioactive isotopes were used on ballot paper. It's absolutely false. Radioactive isotopes were used on ballot paper. Okay, the reality is this is absolutely false because the manufacturer of the ballot paper does not use radioactive isotopes. In fact, a FOIA was done by one of our people and that revealed receipts for purchases that show that Maricopa County did not purchase the vote secure paper with the GR tag it. That's what it really is. In fact, it's not radioactive, but it's infrared. Okay. And so zero Maricopa ballots had that what's called the tag -int that is used in some of the Roland paper. So it's irrelevant that the detection was not used on the machines. And by the way, this was hyped up and hyped up for, you know, on social media as though there was some big issue here. And I think people donated money for this. So the hyperboles on social media, but frankly, it's just nonsense. Now, I wanna talk about a couple of other things. Um, you know, I know David, you went to the cyber symposium. I went there and this is, and one of the things we noticed there was that we were waiting for the big thing. I actually spoke about the censorship issue but at the end of that event, if you remember, David, I don't know if you were, Joe, this data came out saying how much Trump votes were different than what was reported. And as the data came out, so on one column was the votes that were reported by state. And another column was apparently what happened from China or someone attacking our elections. 
And when you listed them and you simply did a simple division, it was exactly 4.2% for nearly every state. So if someone did cheating, it looks like they just knew the number 4.2. And I was on Steve Bannon's show. I said, Steve, this seems highly improbable. It looks like someone gave Mike Lindell a lot of, frankly, ridiculous data. Or the guy read The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and thought the answer was 42 and divided by 10. But again, it's this kind of stuff where people need to do what you just said, Joe, peer review. The, mo the model of science is, you know, I've published papers in some of the leading journals. Those papers have sometimes taken me three years to get published. You publish something. You know, I, I recently published a paper where uh, half of the reviewers said this is brilliant work and the other half trashed me, you know, which yeah. is fine. And then I had to openly accept that and I had to write back a, a response, a 20-page response educating them. And then it got finally accepted. It's been one of the most cited papers now in the field. But this process of where you put something out, uh, in fact, when I put up the 99-page report, uh, one of the journalists, uh, quote-unquote journalists, the county didn't directly attack it. They used a journalism to attack me. And, I, and then I wrote it back a 67-page response. Okay, it took me all night. Right. This is what you do. And I went through every sentence and every line and say, wrong, wrong, and this is where you're mistaken. This process ultimately lets you get to the truth. And this is a rigor the true election systems integrity movement needs. And it cannot be a big grift to just hype people up. The reality is to, to everyone listening, we're talking about a vocal minority actually ruins it for the rest of the people, okay? There are real substantive issues. And I wanna emphasize this, I wanna say this again, there are real substantive issues on election systems integrity. And when someone sucks the oxygen out of the room and actually believes hype is more important than truth and makes commentary like that and believes that and believes that's a modus operandi and has probably gotten away with it, this is not a good way to be a human being in my view, okay? But separate from that, what I've come to the conclusion is there's three sides to everything nowadays. There's the people who deny stuff, the establishment. There's the grifters who make up fake problems to, or fake solutions to real problems or deny them. And then there's the people who actually are doing the hard work in a very non-sexy, non-hyperbolic you know, uh, 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 way. And there are real issues as we laid out. And I can't overemphasize that. The reason, we're, this is again, a multi-part series that I hope to do I've been very busy on a number of other areas, finishing up actually two papers. So I haven't had a chance to be on social media. But I want to let people know when people found out that I was going to be on Joe and your show, I got calls saying, I understand you're, I haven't even put anything on social media. It's the first time I'm doing this. Uh, I take this very seriously. Um, every, you know, when I was uh, at MIT, Joe and, and David, I had a professor who was a, a, a PhD in uh, kinematics, real kinematics. And a, and a PhD in literature, and he said, Shiva, when you write a paper, a scientific paper, you better write it that an eighth grader can understand it. If you make a figure, make the figure easy to understand. What is in the figure? Put a proper caption, proper labels, proper titles. That's when I want to go back to this document. When I look at this, it's freaking laughable. I mean, this is like seriously embarrassing.
I, I've been very kind here, but the best word I could see here was rubbish. I'm not sure what this is. This is it's not even written for an eighth grader. It's written for a negative eighth grader. Okay, it is absolute garbage. So my point is, there are people who do serious work, Joe, and David. When you write a document, I mean, I will spend hours, and you can talk to colleagues of mine. We will spend hours looking at a figure. Oh my God, is that figure right? Did I do it right? Is that period right? Right? Is it figged? You know, I mean, just very subtle things because you want someone to look at that figure and immediately appreciate it. This should not require. I don't even know what this is. And even if you did know it, there's probably a simpler way to represent it. And when you unravel it, it, it is being presented as kinematic artifact detection. Frankly, it's just bullshit. Okay. Sorry, I have to use that term. Let me finish up with this. Now, what I've just shared with you is just egregious examples. There are people who are taking data. You talked about neural nets, machine learning, yep. input, output, and you fit a line to a curve. And they said, oh my God, I'm finding this amazing pattern. And I've had discourse with some of these people, well-meaning people, but fitting a line to a curve, no matter how... or how high order those polynomials are does not mean that's indicative of fraud. You have fit a curve to a set of points and you can always find a reasonable fit unless the data is highly random. Okay. So we can have a discussion. I invite those people to have a discourse on this. Let me also mention this. One of um, the people who worked on the ground, a serious investigator, they found random dots, that do appear on ballots. The individual in question, as we said, put out big news saying that they're MIC codes on the ballot, pure misinformation. So the serious investigator on this issue has been Could chasing Could you explain what a MIC code is? Yeah, so most it, people don't understand what a MIC code is. It's, it's literally a code, you know, that's put on there, okay, to identify a particular ballot, okay? It's a unique identifier of sorts, okay? But what the auditors, the investigators on the ground who did the real work, they were noticing that there were these yellow dots that do appear in random. The individual in question said, no, 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 these are MIC codes, meaning there's some, you know, codes, on, you know, on, on the ballots. So these serious auditors, they've been, they asked repeatedly over and over over again um they're uh, by the way known as a machine identifier codes mic machine identifier codes that's what mix stands for okay and they have been asking for the microscope images on the ballots so they could actually review these yellow dots to find out were they're fraudulent ballots or non-fraudulent ballots and to this date they have not been given those microscope images stating some issue with disk drives. And the reason I bring this up is this is essentially what I went through. I was hired in June, starting in June, signed the contract when I was first brought in. I mean, we have the technology here to do this like this to get the ballot images. As I, as it's just public now, we were given corrupt images. The county was blamed for this. I've come to find out Month, uh, less than four weeks ago, that they've, when they mean they, the people doing the audits, actually had the ballot images in their possession since April. 
So I really have to ask why I didn't receive them and why I had to jump through hoops to get the ballot images because the ballot images should have been done first. Again, paper ballots become ballot images. You, uh, you, you compare the ballot images to the CVR codes. We've done them. It took us about 10 days to do it. Okay. Uh, and we'll be releasing that report and funding was allocated for that. We never saw the money. Yeah. Okay. So we have to ask why, but let me finish by this to the funders of this, whether you were a donor, whether you gave $10,000, whether I gave millions of dollars worth of my time or whether you gave tens of millions, I don't know what the numbers were, but this is a fundamental issue. The funders need to ask your question, are you just a victim or are you an enabler? Because of false claims and an er erroneous statements, you know, you know, they really shift desperately needed resources. Again, I can't overemphasize there are big, big elephants in the room here that are serious issues of fraud that should be prosecuted and they are desperately taking those resources away from legitimate investigations and fact-finding efforts to false allegations and enabling these self-promoters. These people, those people who fund and provide resources to advance the election integrity movement must stop supporting these unsubstantiated claims. There are, again, for the nth time, I want to emphasize there are real and substantiate substantive issues in election systems integrity that go beyond left and right and have to be resolved. So that's really the core of what I wanted to share, at least in this first series. My view on this is the following, okay? And I said this and I maintain this, and this is why I believe that we need to reset on where the real issues are. When I started at the outset of this, I wanna redirect people to, and we'll come back to this, you know, probably next time we do this. Um, you're asking a very, very important question, Joe. So when you look at the machines, right? Mm -hmm. They're part of a large systems process. That's where I started, an engineering right. systems process. So you have stuff coming in and you have input and output and you have this big black box, right? right. Called the voting system. Well, what comes in? Voters come in and you get votes being cast, okay? And these go through a set of processes. One of them being machines, okay? Even if you were to eliminate all the machines, you still have substantial issues of ballot chain, uh, chain of custody, okay? Right. You have substantial issues on how all these processes are being done. I have still yet to receive a detailed SOP on how signature verification is done. One of our people got a FOIA through a FOIA, but it's not anything detailed. We don't know how curing is done. We don't know if the 27 point algorithm is being executed. You see, the, the lack, the opacity in this is, is quite remarkable on such a process. How are election personnel trained? The National uh, Association of State Election Directors, an organization called NASED, N-A-S-E-D, people can look them up, they're based out of DC. Every state election director belongs to NASED, okay? Uh, what came out in our findings in Massachusetts is NASID, the president of it is now the state election director of Massachusetts. Okay. NAS, mm -hmm. the state election directors are the ones getting back to your question on machines who are the ones who certify these machines. One of the things we need to understand is the software on these machines, you know, things like anything near the concept of having a weighted race feature, 
Why are those being certified? Okay, these are questions that need to, these are like big questions. We also need to ask, when you look at an organization like NASID, uh, why are the, uh, you know, organizations like Pierre Omidyar, why are the, um, you know, the Fox News, uh, uh, I forget their names, the, the last names, uh, uh, the Murdochs funding these organizations, okay? So NASID is a very powerful organization the state election directors, which are the ones who certify voting machines. Another important thing to understand is that in Maricopa, you know, third parties have access to these voter registration systems. And um, some states, um, uh, you know, and in some states this creates a huge vulnerability. In Maricopa, the auditors were not given access to investigate the potential breaches of these, okay? This is a very, very substantial issue. And these are big issues. These are big elephants in the room. You know, talking about ghost voters in a university and putting 89.7% up there and scaring people and asking for money, this is a complete deviation, a distraction from the big issues on the table here. And those issues here, so when you talk about, you talk about it's really the ballot chain of custody. And these are prosecutorial issues. You know, there are, uh, issues that were supposed to be in that report that people have been trying to get to the attorney general. For example, having to do with the box uh, fact when people go to the uh, mailboxes, you know, to get the ballots, two people are supposed to go. Things are supposed to be recorded properly. The ballot chain of custody is a very, very significant issue. So in my view, I look at it when you say the voting machines, Joe, I see the whole thing as one system. And in my view, there are so much squishiness along those points. There are multiple opportunities for vulnerabilities. We have to take a systems approach. There are multiple holes in the dike. So if you plug up this hole, someone can come in this way, right? And someone can, so we really need to take a systems approach. I mean, look at when the space shuttle blew up, you had the O-rings, one little mm -hmm. O-ring, which interconnected the solid rocket boosters. And there Chamber was one whistleblower there, Alan McDonald. He wouldn't sign off on it. And when he died recently, six months ago, he said the most important thing in life is to do the right thing, say the right thing at the right time to the right people. And there are substantial issues here. So we need to say the right thing at the right time to the right people. So chain of custody, what you're referring to, where are the SOPs? And I encourage all the people who are funding this, individuals as plus people put a lot of money out there you have to start looking at these issues and we will be focusing, our institute's gonna focus on them, but there are many, many substantial issues that we need to focus on, but we can't do that if there's, like you said, there's all this noise, this noise well, out there and you have to hunt for the signal. I hope everyone out there who's listening uh, recognizes that we don't want to support the grifting anymore. It is very, very uh, destructive to people who are actually wanting to do the real work. And we're at a very important point in American history because with the consolidation with, or with the advent of technology, with the amount of effort that's gone in with mail-in ballots and all this stuff, there's many moving parts here. The good news is that there is an emergent group, uh, Joe and David, of serious people who've come up and we need to make sure this vocal minority who is taking advantage of the election integrity movement is frankly pushed aside 
and they need to go actually find some real work to do in their lives because this is too important of an issue for this to become some entertainment and some theater. So what I hope to do in the next part is to really go through these issues. So we want to now bring to the forefront for policymakers, legislators, uh, attorney generals, hey, these are the real issues. These are the big elephants. And these are the things that you need to go focus on right now. And these are prosecutorial issues. And we have them even in Maricopa, to your point, David, it's not like we have to save something. It's already there. We just need to bring it up and let the crap go away. So if we can do yeah. that, I think we can, we can use Maricopa. And I want to thank all those people who did put a lot of effort. There were some very courageous people. You know, I did the in initial analysis when I was at that hearing that brought some of this out there. But more importantly, there are substantive issues. And I believe people on the left and the right will both benefit from this. So I think we're in a very good space as we move into the next phase of this. So I hope we've cleared the decks here. And those of you um, who funded this, uh, the grifting, go ask for your money back. In my um, own election, the first thing I asked for was for the ballot images. I mean, yeah. you look at it from a so, symptoms problem, you go, you go to the source of the crime, right? Which is, mm -hmm. I have the tabulated votes. What's the thing that was used to tabulate those votes? It's a ballot images. I have not gotten an answer why you didn't give me the ballot images. Doug should be here. You know, we should get Doug on here because uh, I've had to ask Doug why and he hasn't given me an answer. Yeah, I think, I think Doug needs to come here. And really, because we should have done the ballot images like that in April 21st, okay? And then you, you compare the ballot images with the ballot scans, okay? And maybe people are now running around because I've been saying this to go do this and maybe they're gonna produce some data, God knows what, but we have the infrastructure here to do that. And we could have done that in you know pennies on the dollar. But at this point, this is not a tough problem. It's a, it's a basic engineering systems exercise. And I really have to wonder, and it really, really pains me because we had everything set up, we signed contracts, we never got paid for it, we did the work, okay? We, we sucked up all the CVR records. It's only recently we've got the images. And it's very fast to do this. And there is no reason that that did not get done. There's no reason the other people who wanted the microscope images still have not gotten done. I mean, when I asked Doug for it, Doug said, you know, more, more recently, oh, I couldn't get the disk drives. Well, someone else paid for the disk drives. I would have paid for the disk drives, not a lot of money. So there are some serious issues here. Meanwhile, you have individuals like I just went through here making a lot of noise about nothing burgers. And it's and and that's why we need to focus this because I think there's some there are some good people in the attorney general's office who are very serious people who are committed to this country, but if they have to go through three thousand pages of crap, they're going to get tired of it. And what I just showed you in those diagrams is rubbish. And so if you're going through rubbish and to find a few pearls and you have a limited amount of staff, a limited amount of time, you're gonna run out the clock. Remember, it's 22 months. Where are we right now? Election was November 4th, 2020. We're now into what, uh, 12, 13? We've about nine months left. So nine months, you know, you can't really, the 22 months are over. So uh, we don't have a lot of time if you look at Maricopa or the general election for 2020.
it comes down to the entire issue with the issue of the entire systems processes here. You know, these are substantive issues that you're bringing up, Joe. That's what people should be talking about. Front page news on all these social media things, where are the logs? Where are the logs? Why were they deleted, right? And, and, and that's what I do why, on the tech side. When, when I want right. to fix the something on the tech side, you go look go at the logs. We always look at the logs. We always look at the logs. And so I knew, as the further we get into this, is that there, there are architectural problems. And these are smart people that built these machines. These are smart people. These, these are not stupid people. They understand system risk. They understand how to mitigate those risks. And so I, I, I find it very difficult, like I do in the audits, I find it difficult to explain away incompetence and or, oops, I made a mistake. And I think that that's, you know, that's the issue as I start going through this. And after talking to you, I, I want to schedule a secondary follow-up to what the substantive issues are. And let's get everybody laser focused well, on those yeah, things because so, we're running so out of time. You see some of the, yeah, so, yeah, um, you see some of those substantive issues here. I'm sure there are more. Uh, but I think there's a way to take these substantive issues. And I think the opportunity is we need to focus these into some big, what I call the big elephants, right? Right. And we need to represent this um, because the data is there, the, um, the opportunity is still there. So people should not feel hopeless. In fact, we should have a lot of hope. And the hope is that first we begin with eliminating the noise, now we can go to the signal. So uh, I'm glad we did this. And I want to invite everyone, you know, our Election Systems uh, Integrity Institute is, is really going to be dedicated to competing in many ways with the Harvard Belfer School, which denies there's any election fraud issues, competing with the Stanford Internet Observatory, who denies there's any election fraud, wants to compete with my colleagues over at MIT who deny there's any election fraud. But we need a substantive set of real uh, rigor in this. And it's a huge opportunity for Virgin Research. It's a huge opportunity for people who are dedicated to this. And that's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be using this institute to really publish real peer-reviewed research. And we have probably three papers that are going to be coming out in the next 90 days. That The goal is to get them into sub substantial journals. One is going to be in the signature verification area. Another is going to be in the area of some of the ballot chain custody issues. And the other is going to be really in the area of image processing. But you have to go through the peer review. You have to go through the rigor and get these published. And to all of you guys listening out there, stop funding grifters. Tell them to go get a real job, okay? These people are frankly not good. And don't fund them anymore. And don't try to convince me, some of you, why you have to fund them, okay? Um, don't try to rationalize bad behavior, period. This, this, the, def the Defending Democracy Project, right out of, the, if you can see it right out, right out of yeah. the Belfer School, the Belfer School Kennedy Center, School. Yeah. Yes, it's called the Defending Democracy Project, started uh, in 2018. Get the, the main director, one of the main directors of that is Robbie Mook, Clinton's former campaign manager. And this institute was created to not only deny election fraud, but also to create an unholy alliance with big tech that if anyone brought up election fraud, they would be branded as an IO. And what the Long Fuse report out of Stanford said was that myself and four, five other people were branded as the leading uh, repeat spreaders of information. Myself, Donald Trump, James O'Keefe, and we were being surveillance since Ju uh, July of 2020. It's documented in those 300 pages. So the censorship issue 
The censorship infrastructure was designed to attack anyone who raised sub substantial real questions. So that's why these grifters, we as a movement need to also isolate them because they're playing into the hands of these guys. Because this election fraud handbook, guess what it's called? The Election Influence Operations Playbook for Understanding Election Misinformation and Disinformation. So when you have the nothing burgers I just showed you, this is actually late feeding them misinformation and yeah. disinformation. Why would you say that ghost voters are in Arizona? You're feeding right into these guys so they can brand all of us as doing shit work. Excuse my language, okay? But this was created at the Belfer Institute. So if you are spreading that kind of stuff, you're basically feeding the machine here so it can say, aha, we see this. And it is disinformation. That is misinformation. It is misrepresentation. It is frankly egregious misrepresentation. And we as a movement, if we're serious about this, have to call out the garbage. You can't talk about fake unity. I agree with you, David. People have been, oh, we all need to be unified. No, we don't need to be unified. No, unity. But the people, people that are serious are, about it should be unified. Yeah, but not, we're not here to cover up, you know, bad people and to say, oh, yeah, they're one of our brothers. We're going to let them also, you know, get away. No way. This is also happening, by the way, in the medical freedom movement right now. You know, I, we just did two major protests. You have a guy called Robert F. Kennedy Jr. He stole a lot of stuff from us. We're the ones who called that Fauci. Robert F. Kennedy, he said, I'm pro-vaccine. I vaccinated all my kids, okay? And he endorsed Hillary Clinton three times. I had to bring this out. He's a big grifter. He endorsed vaccine queen Hillary Clinton three times. And yet, a lot of very wealthy moms keep giving him money because he's Bobby Kennedy, okay? And he was on Lolita Express, okay? And he, in his own home, he did a lockdown. He said, anyone who comes to my party must be vaccinated. So people think... These people say one thing and do another. So we got to get clear. There are three sides to the problem in the modern day world. The people deny the problem. You just punched me in the face, Dr. Shiva. I just want you to know you just punched me in the face. You Why like is that? Dropped, you like dropped the bomb and you literally just punched me right in the face with a bomb, like right in my face. I mean. Sorry about that. <laughs> well, I'm telling you, the reason the, reason the world doesn't change, if you, if you believe in the Christian uh, tradition, you know, Christ's enemies were not the Roman establishment. It was the Pharisees and the Sadducees, okay? Yep. And we have the not-so-obvious establishment. If you go look at any of the movements, right, do you, you have the people who deny the problem. Then you have the people who know the problem, and they grift off of it. Cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. And then there are people who actually understand the real problem and want to really solve it. And so we're living in, a, in an era of this very important point in human development, where we need to call out both of these wings. And it's really, really important to do this because we have to do the right thing at the right time. It's not, not like waiting, oh yeah, now I'm gonna call out Fauci. Well, where were you in 2020, all these doctors? Too little, too late. Where were you calling out the real election fraud in 2020? Mark Meadows called me, you know, Rona McDaniel's office called me, Eric Trump called me. After we called it out, we asked them for data, they never gave us data. I was a total Trump loyalist, okay? $300, $500 million was raised by Save America. Where's that money gone? And if you think asking that you're being anti-Trump, well, something's wrong with you.
I'm not anti-Trump or pro-Trump. I'm pro this country. So we got to get out of these cults. We got to, the question that we're at right now today is, do you want to fight for you? Stop following grifters. Start thinking about how we're going to build a real movement. And the movement can only be built based on actual truth, actual freedom, and actual healthy, you know, fundamental systems, infrastructure. So it's time to wake up, man. Otherwise, we're all going to be misled. We're all going to enter into greater uh, the dark ages. You know, we did a, we just did this thing on, it's called The Real Robert F. Kennedy, okay? People should go read it, okay? He's a not-so-obvious establishment. And in every one of these movements, we have this right now. And that, we are in the age of discernment. The future of our existence is, do you have the discernment to have the wisdom and to have the courage to call out these grifters? If you don't have that courage and that discernment, then you're going to live in a world of bullshit. And that's why this election system's integrity issue, the issue with medical freedom, the issue, these two issues and the issue with censorship are very, very closely connected. That's why the movement, you know, we've created is truth, freedom, and health. We got to fight against censorship. We've already big time lost that with what's happened out of Harvard. We have... The, we're fighting truth for right now because we have pay to play science. We have pay to pay people in this own movement. <laughs> you know? And well, we're I've never taken a dollar from anybody. I, and I'm terrible but at that, sponsors. <laughs> well, I, I yeah, look, it's not about, people should be paid for good work, okay? Yeah. You do good work, great craftsmen, there's great carpenters, there's great electricians, but we should not be paying people who do crap work, okay? We need to have discernment. To all the people who, who, whether you gave $1 or whether you gave $5 or whether you gave $3 million or $5 million, you have to, uh, based on what you've heard today, and anyone's welcome to call me, you have to disengage and disassociate from these people who've taken advantage of you. And you cannot enable this. You're enabling like an alcoholic. So whether you did it out of ignorance, whether you did it out of you have a lot of money, $200,000 doesn't mean much. It's a fraction. Whatever you did it for, uh, after what you've heard today and what we're going to continue to do, it's time to get on the right track. You know, it's time to redeem your, for your own self. Whatever, whatever, whatever got you to this point, we have a significant opportunity still. So I want to encourage people to reflect on what we've talked about and frankly, come clean. I get it. And that's my biggest problem here is just the past four or five months when we were waiting so anxiously for the Maricopa report, um, just from the outset, it, it just was, it was disappointing and it didn't need to be disappointing. And I think we could have averted so much if, if we didn't have people hiding behind NDAs, et cetera. And uh, so, because the truth's going to come out one way or the other, but I think we've got an opportunity to course correct. So thanks for letting me sit in on the panel, Joe, Dr. Shiva. I learned a lot. Ladies and gentlemen, and we'll right. set something up, Dr. Shiba, if we can do it next week, I'll be in touch with you this week so we can discuss some other things. David, thank you very much for giving your time as well. And Dr. Shiba, I hope you will run again for Senate after we fix these election machines before. Well, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm still registered to run. The issue is, you know, given the elections or selections, um, you know, what we have created, and this is a, uh, for all your audience to understand, people want Say to that again. Truth. Can you hear me? No, say it again. The, the part about elections are? Elections are selections. You know, that's my 
uh, current issue until these issues are really fixed. Um, so, you know, I've been asked to run for governor here in Massachusetts. It's something I announced I was going to do, but then I had to step back and reflect, how would I run? You know, uh, Trump actually went and endorsed a guy in Massachusetts who 90 days ago said there is no election fraud and Trump should stop crying over spilt milk. And I had two meetings with uh, Trump on this. Okay, why did you endorse this guy? Well, I had to do it because I didn't know you were running and da 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 da. Right? And uh, so you have a lot of contradictions here. The Massachusetts GOP is the one who conducted election fraud. The candidate that he endorsed said, "We have it on video." He said he should stop crying over spilt milk. So you still have Trump making horrible endorsements, and this is part of that's part of grifting. It's another aspect of grifting. And so critiquing uh, Trump on this issue is something that's necessary. And it's, it's part of your patriotic duty. You, can't, you know, cannot be supporting people who deny that there's no issues and were part of the fraud. It, that's how of a betrayal it was to us, Joe, for all the 3,000, 4,000 working people who did our campaign. So if we're gonna run for office, um, we're gonna do it as part of to build a movement and we have created a movement. We have close to 100,000 people globally that I'm educating on the science of systems. It's called truthfreedomhealth.com. And our view is that we need to create a movement where everyday people understand how systems work. The elites at Harvard and throughout the world, they've trained about 8,000 people who understand how to play the chess game 10 steps ahead. So we've created that curriculum. We've created an infrastructure where people can build community and we're teaching people how to be activists on the ground. It's neighbor to neighbor. So we have to rethink this whole electoral process. How does change really come? So if I decide to run, it will be to build a movement. And that's what I encourage people to do. Start thinking about local building movements. I mean, the way the election systems are set up, you know, history shows a great change never came from elections. It came from bottoms up movements. We need to create a bulk of people who start understanding how systems work. The good news is we've created that curriculum, made it very, very accessible and affordable and, and to anyone. We have a, a woman who's a hairdresser in New Jersey who can teach the system science course as good or as better as I can. So the goal is we've made it accessible to everyone. And when people understand the science of systems, then they have a nuclear weapon. Otherwise, we're fighting with bows and arrows against the establishment. We're never going to win. So we have to educate people on a different level now. And the school systems aren't doing it. I'm all for it. All right. Dr. Shiva, right, guys. God bless you both. And thank Thanks, you for David. coming on the Hope show. Best to everyone. And again, you. you know, everyone uh, should understand that uh, we need to uh, move in the right direction. We have a and huge we'll, opportunity. And we'll have another one of these roundtables. We'll have a conversation about who's going to be on them. We'll try to broker some conversations, David, with, with others. And let's just get to the bottom of it. If we're all chasing mission, and mission should be election integrity, then there shouldn't be any hurt feelings. We should just get to accountability. And 2022 is the year of accountability. Thank you both, gentlemen. Appreciate you very much. Thank you. Amen. Be well.